All right, let's get into Colossians. Wonderful letter. So we are going to begin in chapter 2, but just as way of reminder and to get us all caught up to speed where we are. So remember, Paul is in prison. So because he has submitted himself to Jesus' call in his life, Paul has gone out not only into the nation of Israel, but into Asia Minor, into Greece. We believe that he is in a prison in Rome at this time. This is, uh, there's, there's questions in regards to which imprisonment is he in. He was arrested three separate times that we know in his ministry. But here he is because that he's proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is in chains. And this, is, this is a house arrest, and you can turn to the last chapter of Colossians and see all those others who are with him, whether they are in chains with him or they're there in that community ministering to Paul. And what's Paul's heart? Paul's sitting there with a fellow laborer, and why Epaphras is there, we don't know, but Epaphras is from Colossae, this city in Asia Minor, and he is conveying to Paul how this community, how these human beings have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's this, and this, is, this is where Paul begins his letter. There, we sit in this idea that Paul probably never met most of these people face-to-face. And as he's pouring out his heart, he's saying, I've heard from Epaphras, this man who shared the gospel with you, this man who knows of your faith, who knows of your love. He's communicating to me how you responded to the grace of God. And the grace of God was communicated to you through the truth, the foundational truth of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel has become your hope That hope is welling up in you faith. That faith is welling up in you love. And this isn't just the emotion and the feeling of love, but here's this foundational transformation that God has brought into your life that was dead apart from him, but now you're alive in him. And then Paul begins to pray, and his prayer for these people that he's never met is what? I pray that you know Not just in your head, but in your heart and in your life experience. I'm praying that you know the God who created you. I'm praying that this is something that you grow in, that you mature in. That all of who he is becomes the image of all of who you are wrapped up in him. And as he begins to, at the end of this prayer in chapter 1, he, he starts to communicate who the son of the father's love is. I love that title, that Jesus is the son of God's love. And as Paul is giving these definitions to who Jesus Christ is, all the weight is sitting in what this community is dealing with in false teaching that we're going to get into this morning. But before he gets into the warnings that we need to sit in, he just proclaims the nature and character of who Jesus Christ is. He is the very image, the mark, the stamp of the invisible God. Everything that exists, you look at nature, you look at the universe, everything that is created was created by him. Nothing that exists was created outside of him. It was created by him, for him, and through him. He is over it all. He is the sustainer of it all. 
He is the first. He's the firstborn of the dead. That has a very specific title and meaning in regards to his resurrection, what it is that he paid for our sins, which brings about death. Very specific definitions in the gospel, but this is, this is the reality is there's false teachings now and there are false teachings then that, you know, Jesus was not really God in the flesh or he was the perfect spirit of God, but the spirit of Christ and the man Jesus, there was this separate, there's all these weird teachings that have its roots from the very beginning of the church. And all of these false teachings, they, they find themselves coming out of um, traditional Judaism. They find themselves coming out of pagan idolatry as the gospel gets shared in these communities. It's coming out of individuals who are responding to the gospel of Christ through motivations of the flesh rather than through being motivated by the Holy Spirit, where they're teaching the traditions of men, where Paul warned the Ephesians community when we get back into Acts chapter 20 that when he departs, he knew that savage wolves were going to not just enter into the body of Christ, but they were going to spring up from the leadership. Paul's communicating to the Ephesian elders, and he says, I know when I leave from here, savage wolves are going to spring out from your midst. And they're going to teach false things for the purpose of bringing disciples to themselves rather than telling people to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So Paul, in these foundational definitions of who Jesus Christ is, he is placing Jesus at the perfect first height of where Jesus belongs in all of our behaviors. And then he says, you need to remember who you were. You were a child of what your mind was wicked. You were a child of disobedience. You were a child of wrath. You were dead in your sins until the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins. But he has reconciled you. He has brought you into perfect harmony, into the perfect image of God is what Jesus has done as our intermediary, as our reconciler, as the one who has redeemed us, bought us from sin by his what? By his blood. And then Paul is expressing his calling of service. This is, last week we, I titled this the sermon Fight because he's talking about the striving that he has in his life and in his ministry and his calling. And the striving is that the church in this community and the church as a whole, that each individual and each community would know and trust and follow Jesus and Jesus alone. He talks about the mystery of the gospel. You know, that his, his calling from the Lord is to make known to them the mystery of God, which the, this mystery is, um, it's this word that's taken from this time period where the pagan religions had these mysteries, this secret hidden knowledge that only through uh, your obedience to their regimen would you increase in your knowledge and be exposed to all the secret and hidden knowledge so that only the select few would be saved and deified and just all this weirdness. So this idea of mystery is taken out of that culture and it means here's something that is hidden and hidden in God and God alone because he is the source of truth and he is the revealer of truth. And what is hidden in him has been revealed and unveiled and this mystery of God is that the Gentiles have access to faith through Jesus Christ, just like the Jews have access to 
faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. It, it was a mystery. It was a wonderful. It was something that the Jewish religion wasn't proclaiming. They thought, you know, there were many rabbis were teaching that day, the Gentiles, which is most of us in this room, that we were nothing but the fodder for hell. Is that the heart of God? Nothing to do with the heart of God. That's a tradition and teaching of men, of men that is, a, that is an absolute lie. And here Jesus came to what? To reveal the Father, to teach the truth, to reveal what it is, the nature and character of God, what his plans and purposes were in regards to bringing about his righteousness, which is through his sacrifice alone, giving us his life, the power of the resurrection. So do you all hear the elevation of, of where Paul is trying to have our minds in regards to our faith and our hope and our trust and confidence in, in him, our knowledge, our experience, our understanding, it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Because now, well, in verse 5, he's going to get to the now, but we're going to begin in verse 2, because I read through this just quickly, um, or chapter 2, sorry. Um, I read through this quickly. I'm not even, thank you, Sorry. Wrong book of the Bible. Now this makes sense. So, the end of chapter 1, last week we really focused on this idea of fighting, um, putting forth our effort, our energy to do what the Lord is calling us to do according to his working, which he is working in all of us mightily. Now, chapter 2. Paul says, well, I want you to know. I want you to know what great conflict, and this word for conflict, it's the same word for striving above. Striving is the verb, the fighting Hear this word conflict, it's the noun of the same word. I want you to know what great agony, what great conflict, wrestling, striving I have for you and for those in Laodicea. Why? For as many who have not seen my face, so this is the idea where we get that, um, um, that Paul was never in this community. But here's the heart. Here's the, here's the conflict. Here's the striving, the wrestling. I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want your hearts to be knit together in love. I want you to attain to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he's going to say why he's saying all this in just a minute. But let's look at these first few verses. I want you to know and understand, here's, here's, here's my heart for you. Here's why I'm writing this letter. Here is, here is why I'm doing what I'm doing as I am following Jesus Christ. Even though I'm in chains, here's, here's the conflict that I have in my heart for you. And here's, here's, listen to his heart. He wants your heart to be encouraged. He wants your heart to be comforted. This word for encouraged, it, it, it's, it's to call alongside to yourself. This is the idea that the, the Holy Spirit is the, the helper. It's the same idea. He, God is the God of all comfort. He comes alongside of us to comfort us, to encourage us. And this idea here that your heart's in this community, I want you to be knit together. I want you to be united in what? In love. So sit, sit in my position and sit in your position also. Like why, why do we gather together on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whenever, as often as we gather together? Why do we do this? 
Is it so that we can exalt my name, so that we can exalt a congregation's name, so that we can exalt a denomination's name, a doctrine, or any of that kind of stuff? Those are, those are all side issues. Look at, look at his, his striving, his effort and energy, his prayer is for each one of us to be encouraged and comforted. Do you have any discouragement in your life? Do you feel like some days you've just been steamrolled by the world, by your own flesh, by the devil in your life, by your spouse, by your children? Is there, do you have any circumstances in your life where all the wind just gets sucked out of you? You just got gut punched in life. Where does, your, where does your encouragement come from? Where does your hope come from? Do you want to process through that all by yourself? Or do you want a brother and sister to be able to come up to you and wrap their arm around you and point you back to Jesus? Point you back to remember the one who was high and lifted up and seated on the throne, the holy one who has made us holy just like him. Do you remember him? Do you remember Jesus? Does that not bring about great comfort into your heart and soul in regards to your circumstances? When you were crying out to God, God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? That wasn't my intent. This hurts. Why we engage with one another, why we assemble is to remind each other, to bring encouragement and comfort, to remind ourselves the purpose that we are here this morning is to be knit and woven together in love. We are all one in the body of Christ. There is no head there. Well, the head is Jesus, but the rest of us, we're just part of the body. Doing whatever it is that God has called us to do is he's placed us in his body. Amen? <laughs> and that each one of us would attain. Listen to this. This is this, all the riches. We want to say this is the language is... Paul wants each one of us to attain to this, this position of abundance in full, confident assurance in understanding. So this, this full assurance, it has, it's this, you have a perfect assurance, hope, confidence, in, in your understanding in this mystery of God? Are you fully confident in your relationship with God? I hope so. I hope so. I hope you know in whom you believe. I hope you know that there's nothing that you can do. There's no thought that you can think. There's no word that you can speak. There's no action that you can do that would remove you from his love. If... Your faith and your hope and trust is in Jesus Christ. We all participate. We all, we all miss the mark every single day. And we come to him in confession and cleansing and he's faithful and just. There's this incredible um, grounding and, and truth in regards to your relationship with him that, uh, you know, if you don't know anything else as you leave this building this morning, that you would have full assurance and understanding in regards to God's plan and purpose for your life and for our life together. Not just this congregation, but the body of Christ as a whole and all those who are still outside that need to respond to the gospel. This is my agony. This is what I'm wrestling for. This is what I am aiming at. This is what I desire. Full assurance. 
understanding the concepts, the relationship between all of these, these concepts, this, this, it's, it's cognitively understanding Genesis to Revelation and being able to map all these pieces together. If you can't do that yet, keep growing and maturing. That's, that's the hope. That's what we're striving to do, that you would know your creator and his revealed truth about himself. The mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, and here's the exaltation in whom. Here's, here's this, this knowledge. It's not hidden in, in these secret books of these mystery religions. His word, he has revealed to us. These treasures are hidden in him. Wisdom, the love of wisdom, knowledge. We're going to talk about these things as we continue. So verse 4. So Paul is now getting to the real encouragement and warning for what's going on in this community. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The word walk there, that's an imperative, it's a command. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. Uh, this word means to see. And again, this is the other imperative command in this section. See, I want you to see. Why? Lest anyone cheat you. Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells, lives all the fullness of the Godhead, is what my translation says. It's literally of the deity bodily. And you are Full, you're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Back up to verse 4. This is where I got the title for this morning's message. So Paul says, I'm saying all this before all the, all the information that he's already given so that you would not be deceived. And this isn't the word for deceived to be, to be led astray. This is false reasoning. So... So everybody have the cognitive ability to reason? You take facts and information into your life, and you churn on those facts, and you spit out either words, actions, behaviors. This is, this is Paul's warning is he doesn't want us to be, um, to be deceived with somebody else's or your own, your false reasoning by, what does he say? He uses this by, um, by persuasive words. I titled this morning message, The Art of Persuasion. Have you ever been persuaded of something uh, that you now know to be false? You were persuaded of something as true, but now you have more information or you've reasoned through it further, and now your understanding of what you thought was true is now false. Anybody? Our culture sits in the art of persuasion every day single day. How many advertisements have you seen this morning? Anybody look at news this morning? Anybody look at Facebook? 
Anybody turn on the television? Anybody drive down the road and see a billboard? Anybody drive by a business this morning? Anybody see a slogan? We're in Atlanta, Georgia. It's the hometown of Coke. How many Coke commercials have you seen? A thousand in your lifetime? Probably. What are you promised if you drink Coke? Think about it. Think, think about all the auditory images, all the visual images, all the writing that you get with this one product. You know, you crack open that can, you twist off that bottle, all the fizz comes up. You get thirsty, right? But if you drink that item, what's going to happen to your life? You're going to be refreshed. You're going to be part of a community of joy. Your mouth is going to be dancing. Your mind is going to be dancing. You're going to be on a sugar buzz for the next 20 minutes until you drink your next Coke, right? But what does that advertisement promise you? It's attempting to persuade you of something, right? Here's a product. Here's a need. You have a need of thirst. Here's a product that wants to satisfy that need of thirst. And here's the promise that if you drink our product, especially in, in contrast to Pepsi, because Pepsi's going to make you puke, but Coke, you will, you will have a happy, joy-filled life if you drink this product. Now, that's just one example that we can all sit in, but it doesn't matter what product or what service we sit in our, in our capitalist society where everybody is promoting to you their products and their services, that if you engage with us, especially in, in contrast to our competition, here's how your life is going to be better. So is that advertising true or false? It's always a twist. There's, always, there's a lot of truth to it and those kinds of things. You know, we're picking on Coke. Um, but you can sit in all kinds of items that we are marketed to. All right, let's get dirty. How about politics? The Republican Party has a platform of ideas, correct? Those ideas are based upon certain philosophies, History, study, Democrats have the exact same thing. They have their platform. And as they convey their platforms, their ideas, what they think government and society ought to look like, they are communicating their ideas. And how are they doing it? Is it a bunch of dunces? You know, is everybody in the party that you don't like, is every single one of them just a moron? And everybody that's a part of the party that you're affiliated with, they're geniuses? Is that true? No. Let's just let's let's uh, we'll, we'll step into this even further. Abortion. Why do people get an abortion? Have you ever sat into reasons? This is what this word "art to persuasion" means: that there is a plausible, well thought out, well constructed argument that seems true, but it's really false. So if you want to sit in the justifications to end a life in the womb of a woman, you can sit in those arguments and be persuaded that those arguments are true, even though they're false. And the reason that they're false is because they're empty of what is true to begin with. So if the premise is false, then the conclusion is going to be false. If the foundation is true, 
you can still sit in a lot of well-constructed arguments that lead to falsehoods in life. And we all process through these persuasive words every single day. Should you get the vaccine or should you not get the vaccine? Are there persuasive arguments on both sides? Should there be a mandate? Should there not be a mandate? Are there, are there persuasive arguments on both sides? Reasoned, well thought out, logical? So how do you know what's true? How do you, how do you make your decisions in life? The Bible is awesome because the word of God communicates to us the priesthood of all believers. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are promised that you have the mind of Christ. And when it comes to areas that are grace, such as getting a vaccine, guess what? You get to obey your Lord according to his commands and direction in your life. And so does the person next to you, and so does the person across the room from you, so does the person across from the city and across from the nation. You know, these, these, these things we hold on to, right, that I am trying to live out my life according to the truth of God. And the reality is, as I listen to a lot of people communicate to me out of this word, very persuasive arguments. So now we get a step into doctrinal errors. So there's, there's people, and we're not sure exactly, uh, but it seems that in this community, it's this, the very beginnings of what is known as Gnosticism and all of its teachings, and we're not going to get into that this morning because it's too much. But there are these individuals in their community that have false reasoning, and they are great communicators. And they have very reasoned, well-thought-out, plausible arguments that the community is in danger of believing rather than remembering Jesus whom they received because there's these additions that are coming in. Next week, we're going to sit in the ideas, of, you know, more of the traditions of men and, and following out those historic Judaism roots as, as those play out and we'll get into carnality and those kinds of things also. But here, it's all revolving around the art of persuasion and all these opposing voices that you have in your life. So Paul's saying all this, lest he's warning, he's given us the encouragement, don't let somebody else's false reasoning, don't let somebody else's well-thought-out arguments lead you away from Christ. And Paul's got this statement, which is awesome in regards to the reality of the body of Christ. Paul is Paul's thousand miles away. If, if he's in Rome... He's a thousand miles away from these people physically. But he's telling them, I am present with you in the spirit. How is that even true? Do you know that you, you, we, right now, we are present with our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We are present with our brothers and sisters in China. We are present with our brothers and sisters in South Dakota. We are one body, united in love, spiritually. I mean, this, this, these are ideas that are true and they, they just melt our minds. But again, he's talking about relationship. As you're processing through all this, my prayers to the almighty God who we are one in, they are having an impact in your life thousands of miles away. 
And I'm praying that God would reveal to me, that he would reveal to you, that he would reveal to the body of Christ around the world all of those things, arguments, ideas, products, solutions, whatever they may be that aren't grounded in his truth and his reality, that those things would be exposed and that we would have the courage to let go of them. Does that make sense? Because you can be exposed to the truth and not like it very much because it's going to have some consequences in your life. Following Jesus has consequences. There's a lot of cutting away that occurs in our minds, our flesh, our lives, relationships. There's a lot of stones that could be hurled your way. So not only being confronted with the truth, God, expose yourself to us, but also give us the courage to live it out. I'm with you in the spirit. He uses these couple military terms. I'm rejoicing that and the, the imagery that's being given that you're you're in battle formation. You're in order, you're firm, you're steadfast, you're standing against, you're standing in the strength of the Lord. Awesome. And here's the reminder. Remember how you received Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Why is Jesus your Lord? I asked, I asked this, uh, I think while we were still in Revelation, have you sat in and have you praised God for what it is that he saved you from? What scars has he healed? What sins has he snatched you out of? How has he transformed the way that you think and the way that you act? Right? As you received the gospel, as you received God's grace, as you, re, as you were saved and came into a relationship with him, as you received, again, these titles, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. So live it out. Walk in him. Not independent, but in him. And this is, again, back to where he exalted Jesus to where he belongs, right? He is first in all things. So as you walk out your life, walk out your life in Jesus. In comfort, in love, in peace, in hope. Realizing that the behavior of the person sitting next to you, spouses don't nudge each other. Even, as, even when somebody is irritating you, even when you were in agony because of the behavior of somebody else, nobody can take you outside of Jesus. Only you can walk away. So the exhortation is in him as you, as y'all received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. And again, he gives, uses all these metaphors, rooted. That imagery is a, is a plant, is a tree. We have Psalm 1, is a, is a tree, is planted by living water. Your leaf, it's not going to wither. He's, when you talk about rooted, the roots are down into the soil, pulling up the nutrients. You are rooted in Christ. He is your source. He is the one that is bringing you the nutrition spiritually that you need in your life. The other metaphor here is being built up like a building. You have this superstructure, the body of Christ. We are a building being constructed in him. The word established there means beyond doubt in faith. Do you have any doubts? I, I've, I've had doubts historically in my relationship with Jesus. 
I was one of those guys. I was, I was getting saved every single weekend. You know, every single, every single time the, the pastor's walking through a prayer, just, you know, do you need to be cleansed? Do you need to be saved? Do you need, you know, do you need to say this prayer? I was repeating it often. Because there, there was a time in my life, and it took, it took maturity to get to that point of that confidence. You know what? There's nothing that I can say, think, or do that's going to separate me from his love, from his salvation, and his life. I am his. He is mine. I know in whom I believe. So my doubts over time have fizzled. Usually, as, as, as a young believer, those doubts can cycle up in different ways. As a believer who is living in sin and living in rebellion and being stiff-necked against God, that conviction of sin and those behaviors can, can come into your life and cause doubts. And what does the Bible tell us to do? Come to Jesus. Confession. Jesus, this behavior is wrong because you say it is wrong. Here's what your word says. I believe it. I'm confessing. I'm saying the same thing that you say. I'm seeking you like David. Remember, David's sitting in adultery and murder. And he comes to God in prayer, asking to be cleansed and purged. How do you, how do you get cleansed from adultery and murder? Through an act of God and God alone. God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Cleanse me. Cause there to be something new in here. Create in me a clean heart, a washed heart, a purged heart, a heart that's been transformed by your love and your grace and your power, a heart that's been stamped with your image. Then, Lord, then I'm going to go then I'll tell sinners. They'll know the testimony of your work in my life, that I have your life. Then, Lord, I'm going to go proclaim your gospel to sinners, and they too will know your grace. Beyond doubt, in the faith, as you have been taught, boy, I hope each and every one of you have been taught the word of God and the word of God well. My entire Christian walk, I have, I have had brothers and sisters pour the word of God into my life. And I love it. And look at this word, abounding in it with thanksgiving. This is, this is excessive gratitude. And we need to have a confession moment here as a church. You ready? What do you think about your own personal worship of God sometimes as you enter into this room? Is it limited or excessive. You don't need to tell me, but just as you, as you engage with your Creator, Paul is striving, agonizing. I'm striving and agonizing. Lord, let my gratitude be excessive. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stoic kind of guy. I'm, I'm conservative by nature. You're not going to watch me get up and dance. I'm, I'm the white guy that cannot dance, and you don't want to watch me dance, okay? Sometimes I don't want to lift up my hands because I think other people are looking at me, and I don't want to be a distraction in those kind of things. I'm, I'm conservative 
by nature. So I'm not talking about outward jumping up and down. I'm talking about your mind, your heart, your relationship with your God. I pray that every time we gather together in worship, I pray in the next few minutes as we join back together in worship for a couple of songs, that your praise, your gratitude, your thanksgiving for who God is, for what it is that he's done in your life, for what it is that he's promised you is excessive. That he floods you with himself, with his love, with the knowledge and experience of him, and out of your part will continually just pour forth excessive and abundant thanksgiving. And the warning, see, don't let anybody cheat you. And this, this word for cheat, it's to be led off into captivity. It's a, if you go out and, you know, we've all seen the nature shows, right? You watch a lion chase down its prey and carry it off. That's this word for cheat. Don't let anybody come into your life with their words, their wants, their abuses and sink their teeth into you and carry you away captive as prey away from your Savior. They can't do it in their power. But you can grant people power in your life that they absolutely should not have. You can give power to people to define who you are that they should not. You should not give anybody power to define you. Give it to Jesus. You want to know who you are? You turn to this and you look at your creator's definition of you in him. And then let your thanksgiving be excessive, because oh my, 10,000 reasons we can come up with today to praise the Lord and for all eternity. Don't let anybody cheat you through philosophy. This is used in the negative tense, the word philosophy. It's loving wisdom. Do you love wisdom? The Bible tells you to love wisdom. Go sit in Proverbs. The beginning chapters of Proverbs... Uh, personifies wisdom as a female to be pursued in contrast with the harlot that's to be avoided. We are supposed to love wisdom. But here it's used in the negative context where there's the philosophies of the culture, the ideas, the love of wisdom. That love of wisdom becomes greater than your love for the truth of who Jesus Christ is, which becomes this empty, seductive, Deceit. This is the one that's leading astray. Where's its source? It's dominated. This word according in the, in the Bible, according to, it's always, it's down from. There's a source of authority that is communicating and, and controlling. So these ideas, they're according to the traditions of men. We can sit in all kinds of examples of religious traditions, maybe your household traditions, cultural traditions that we have been handed to by, uh, by prior cultures, whether, again, whether it's family, whether it's religion, whatever it may be. But here's the, the negative. Here's these traditions that try and get you to trust in the tradition rather than a relationship with Christ. It's according to the traditions and teachings and handing down from men, not from God, according to the basic principles some of your translations would say the basic spirits the basic components of the world there's all kinds of discussion of like paul what are you talking about are you talking about uh, 
you know, basic principle, the ideas uh, like fire and earth and uh, water, those basic elements of the world physically, more likely this is talking about to just these basic man ideas and principles of the world that uh, provide the definitions for government, for culture, for religion, all those kinds of ideas. Because the contrast is it's not down from, it's not according to the authority of Christ. And look at verse 9, and this is where we're going to engage back into worship. If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. Some of us are visual, some of us are auditory. But the prayer, and you know, Amber said this earlier, that, that this information would come from our minds and sink down into our hearts. Listen, listen to this. In Jesus dwells, lives, abides all the fullness of the deity. In Jesus lives all the fullness, the completeness, all that God is lives in Jesus bodily. Our God who created the heavens and the earth was born a helpless child in a barn on purpose to take on the spacesuit that you're wearing, this skin, this flesh. All the fullness of the deity is in Christ bodily. I have no idea how this works out for all eternity, but when Jesus died on the cross, he died in the flesh, died the death that each and every one of us deserve, and he's the firstborn from the dead. He had the, the sacrifice was worthy, and he had the power to take his life back to himself and resurrected bodily. And we are told that as the disciples were in that upper room, Jesus just appeared in their midst. He was there physically. He was there spiritually in the midst, listening to the conversation. And he appeared instantly bodily. They touched him after his resurrection. They ate with him. Jesus ate food after his resurrection. They watched him ascend bodily into heaven. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven bodily today. And all the fullness of the deity dwells in him. Got it? Now what does it say, Christian? You are full in Jesus. How's that for a promise? Not only is the deity fully God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Jesus lives all the fullness of the deity. You, Christian, are fully in him. He is the head of all principality, 
It's this word for beginning titles for spirits, rebellious spirits. Jesus is the head of them all. He is the head, the beginning of all power and all authority. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on up. And Heavenly Father, in these truths that we sit in this morning, I am so grateful for your word. Lord, I have, I have fun studying and reading. Every time, you know, Lord, life, Lord, can take over. Um, life can take over, get tired, get worn out. Um, just all those different pressures and things, Lord. Every time I just sit with you, I am elated. I'm overwhelmed by your truth and your promises. Lord, I'm thankful for all these times that we have to remember I've heard this information hundreds of times, and it is not old, but alive and fresh. I'm so thankful for who you are. I'm so thankful that you chased me and us down. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have made yourself known. You've taken us through so many life experiences, even today. Where we're getting to know you just a little bit more. Or today, as we sit in the warnings of all the all the things that we've been persuaded about that are not true, Lord, expose those things. Not to, not to condemn us, but to build us up. All those things statements, people that we've allowed to identify us, Lord, that we've given power to, Lord, we're asking that you would strip all of that power away. And that we would know and understand and trust in that you are power. All authority is yours. All sovereignty, our life. So we've sat in just this letter that you caused Paul to write to this congregation, Lord. There's so many promises about who we are in you. As we continue in worship in a minute, Lord, as we engage with you and remembering your body and your blood and your sacrifice through communion. For each one of us individually and for us corporately together, Lord. We are here to be encouraged by one another and to be unified in love with one another. Let our praise be excessive. It's in Jesus' name we pray.